The future of gaming is portable, so let's talk about the games in our hands, the games in our pockets. Let's talk about the future today. It's Handy Pocket. Or as it's also known as the Geno Memorial Fund. I'm your host, Kyle Von Kubik. And this is episode number... 362. She's a model, a cosplayer. She's been previously featured in Read Only Magazine. She's a burlesque performer who has been featured in the Washington Post and Time Out New York. The founder of D20 Burlesque, a Twitch streamer, a pocket rocker enthusiast, and all-around cool gamer, Anya Keister. Hey, that's me. <laughs> hey, thank you for coming on the show. It's always better the second take, right? There or the third go. or fourth. There you go. <laughs> you have a very impressive uh, resume, so I want to make sure I hit all the points. Did I miss anything? I I, I mean, that was a lot. That was a lot. I, it is a lot. I, I, I am a, a lady of many talents um, and side hustles, so I think you got most of them there. <laughs> Where can everyone find you? Um, the place that you can find me most frequently now after my move to the UK is on Twitch. I stream typically three days a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. Variety streaming different things. It's a lot of retro. It's a lot of horror. Um, mm. And I try to also feature indie developers and queer content in gaming. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff I've dipped in. And I, I always find it uh, an enjoyable experience. You got a cool community, too, in the chat. No no trolls or jerks. Check it out and maybe you'll see me there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a pretty great community. It's a lot of people who have found me over the years, both with burlesque or other things that I do. So it's a really friendly, welcoming community, very supportive. And we're just there to hang out and watch me play some video games. What inspired? you to become a burlesque performer what happened was as a kid i always liked doing theater and productions and all kinds of stuff like that um and i actually got i went to school and i got my bachelor of fine arts and then i ended up moving to new york with my wife and new york city isn't necessarily a city that's very uh friendly towards art as a hobby uh mm. and um I, I still wanted to perform and I was trying to find a way and I couldn't find it. And then I was working as an art therapist and one of my supervisors invited me to um, like her, her mountain house out in the Poconos and there was a burlesque festival happening. And I was like, that seems pretty mm. cool. Like I know pinup culture stuff. And we went and I was just like, this is amazing. And it was just a bunch of people who are just creating stuff. They're making their own costumes. They're doing their own choreography. They're creating their personas. They're coming up with ideas. They're choosing their own music. And it just really clicked with the DIY aesthetic. It was a very welcoming community. And it was a chance for me to continue to make art in some way uh, within a smaller scene, within like a little niche community of New York City. And I just kind of fell in love with it. And then when I started mixing in the nerdy stuff, it was just yeah, you know, everything I was looking for. Yeah, that seems to be your niche, right? Is the nerdlesque? Yeah, that's what we call it. Nerdy burlesque or nerdlesque. When I got started, it was still a fairly... I started performing, I think, in 2010, I want to say. And it was still a pretty small little subset of the burlesque community. A lot of the like more seasoned performers didn't really see the legitimacy of it. And I'm like, mm. there's a bunch of nerds who just want to watch people dress up as the characters they love and do a, a cheeky little strip tease or, you know, 
continue the story. I look at I look at it as just like fan service, but I look at it as kind of live action fan fiction. I'm taking these characters and I'm continuing their story in kind of a, a cute, sexy, funny, comedic way. Uh, I think it's a good entry point for some people who might have a negative connotation to what burlesque is. Yeah, totally. We get a lot of, um, at the at D20 Burlesque, we get a lot of nerds who are quiet and introverted or shy or would never see themselves going to, say, a strip club or something like that. And then they get to kind of experience a fun little, like, evening of, yeah, some kind of fun like that. But then we also get the people who are burlesque regulars who come to the shows and then they discover um, a new video game. They discover a podcast. They discover, you know, something in the nerd world that they maybe n- wouldn't have seen or interacted with. I-, I had a lot of people who were burlesque regulars who didn't know the source material of our different themed shows at all and then picked it up afterwards and started to become fans. Oh, that's fans. interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Now, you're also a producer and you've helped put on uh, a bunch of different shows through D20 Burlesque. What kind of challenges do you experience doing something like that? Over the years, I've been able to kind of like, I typically have a home venue in New York City when I'm there. I have the conventions I typically perform at at this point. And and then after that, it's just kind of extra bonuses if I'm touring or I'm going someplace else. And, you know, over the years, I have a wide range of people I can kind of reach out to. There's casting call groups on Facebook and things like that where I can place the casting calls for the more weird niche themed shows. I mean, the, the, I mean, the biggest thing that I actually ran into problems with was just uh, intellectual property. I got a cease and desist from a large name company for a show I was putting on. Uh, and really? after that, uh, it was Time Warner, whoever owns uh, Cartoon Network. <laughs> I got a cease okay. and desist from them for a show yeah. that we were supposed to do. I, I could have argued parody, but you don't go up against a huge conglomerate <laughs> yeah. TV thing. They're just going to bleed me for money if I tried to take it to court. So, you know, we had to change up that show. And after that, it was actually a nice turn because then I started working with companies. So I've actually worked in agreement with, uh, I've worked with like Double Fine Adventure. I've worked oh. with Welcome to Night Vale. I've worked with uh, the McElroy brothers. And I've worked with like some other gaming companies. And, and you know, I'll reach out and say, I want to do a tribute to you all. Do you give the blessing? Do you give the okay? And then those shows end up being way more fun because sometimes they come to them. Um, we send the video to them. Uh, they help to promote it to their fans and followers. So it actually has turned out to be a, a blessing in disguise of of where I can take that D20 burlesque. Uh, so on this show, I always ask the co-host, what's in their pocket? So what is in your pocket this week? Ooh, what is in my pocket this week? Um, eye drops for my foster kitten. Um, <laughs> um, I just went to the market and got some groceries. I have some British pounds uh, right. and my phone. I'd say those are okay. the main things that have been in my pockets this week. <laughs> What have you been playing on Twitch and perhaps maybe completed recently? <laughs> okay, I guess that's a better question. Um, uh, this has actually been an exciting month for me on Twitch because I'm finishing a lot of games. Yesterday, uh, or day of this, you know, on the 15th, I finished The Legend of Zelda Quest 2 for the first time ever. That was exciting. Very I cool. finished original Legend of Zelda and I didn't know there was a Quest 2. 
So I decided to do that one, too. So I finished that. I finished Super Mario RPG uh, the previous week. I'm going to play mm-hmm. through all of this game called The Hex, which is really okay. cool. It's by the same guy who developed Inscription, which is like one of my favorite games. Yeah, I've just been playing through a lot of games this month. Uh, and I'm starting Final Fantasy IX on Friday, which oh. is really exciting. Okay. Well, since it's Mario Mania Month... For- Let's talk about your experiences with uh, Super Mario RPG colon Legend of the Seven Stars, which was released in 1996 for the Super Nintendo. Was this your first time playing the game? It was. I was, and I I talk about this a lot on my Twitch. One of the reasons I do a lot of retro gaming on there is that when I was a kid, uh, we had an NES. Well, we had an Atari, and I think we had a ColecoVision, Mm -hmm. and then we got an NES. And that was the last gaming system I had until I got a Wii. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. Big, so I, big gap. Exactly. So I missed out on a lot of really crucial and pivotal games. Now, my wife is four years younger than me, so she played through all these. She had like all of the PlayStations and the mm. Nintendo uh, DS and like the Game Boy. She had all of this stuff. I never had it. Part of the fun of my Twitch when I got started was I started with Final Fantasy VII because they're about to come out with the remake and she's like you should play the original i'm going to be playing the remake but you should play it and you should play it on twitch because there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be excited to see somebody play it through fresh eyes and that's kind of what the basis of my twitch is i don't know about so many things that are crucial and pivotal and staples and hallmarks of the gaming industry (laughs) so i'm playing through them and i'm uh people get to enjoy me solving the puzzles for the first time or understanding or having reactions to these things and and it's great for me because I really enjoy retro games. <laughs> They're kind of all I knew for most of my life. So yeah, this is my first time through the Super Mario RPG after uh, playing through a bunch of different RPGs to try to understand them. And this was my wife's choice because she's like, this is different than a lot of RPGs and I think you'll really enjoy it. I think Final Fantasy VII is a great parallel to this game. Both were put out by Squaresoft, uh, Mario RPG, as it's commonly called, not the whole title, was a kind of swan song for Squaresoft with Nintendo because they would move on to the PlayStation and kind of leave Nintendo in the dust and turn out some of the biggest hits for Sony on the PlayStation with games like Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII, uh, uh, Final Fantasy IX. I can keep going through all the ones that appeared on the... the, uh, Uh, PlayStation, but other JRPGs, they kind of took the whole genre and moved it to Nintendo's competitor. And I think a lot of that had to do with the development of the PlayStation, where Sony was working with Nintendo for this add-on called the PlayStation, the Nintendo PlayStation, and Squaresoft had a development kit, and they were working on the next Final Fantasy, which would have been Final Fantasy VII, for the Nintendo PlayStation. But then Nintendo played some games with Philips and and Sony and pitting them up against each other. And Sony cut ties with Nintendo and released their add-on as its own console. And Square said, hey, we just wasted months of development on a piece of hardware that's never going to come out. Let's just move over to Sony. So it's this bittersweet thing with Mario RPG where it's like, it's the last, I think it's one of the last, if not the last game developed for the Super Nintendo. And it's this bridge between 
the past and the future, which would be the polygonal game of uh, Final Fantasy VII. So, I guess you haven't played a lot of RPGs or JRPGs in your uh, past, but I do know that now that you're streaming, you've been dipping into a lot more JRPGs like uh, Lunar Silver Story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so over the since starting that, I, the my Fridays are typically the series is called JRPG Journeys, and it's me playing through pivotal JRPGs that are the the big names or the ones that have a lot of meaning. Yeah, so it started with Final Fantasy VII. I played through. After that, we did Chrono Trigger, and then mm, we did okay. Dragon Quest XI because that felt like a nice bridge you know, pulling the two together and then going. And I did like Parasite Eve, Lunar 1, Lunar 2, Kingdom Hearts. Um, and then I think that's what led me to this one now with Super Mario RPG. So you have a few games under your belt. How do you feel that Super Mario RPG compares as an RPG mechanically to those other titles you've played? Um, mechanically, I I really enjoyed it. It, it felt very similar. Um, it took a little bit for me to get the whole like... You can block a hit by pressing A and like the, if you time it right, like that was kind of a cool mechanic that I hadn't really experienced in other ones. Um, I really liked that the side quests of Super Mario RPG are like the side games, like the beetle hunting or the, the one where you're in the little cart were kind of separate ones that you could go to an area on the map and play over and over again if you wanted to, but they weren't necessarily built into the game. Because sometimes when I'm streaming, it's hard because I'm trying to break these things into like three hour chunks, right? Um, right. That makes sense. And sometimes it's kind of annoying when you're at a, at a, a pivotal plot point and now I have to play a side game, you know? Yeah. So I like that Mario's um, allowed you to go back and get to it there. And I mean, the story is just so fun. It's such a fun story. I loved the switching out of the players. I feel like the way you accumulated your party in Super Mario RPG felt different than the way you accumulate parties in other JRPGs. And I don't know if it's mm. just because I already knew some of the characters, um, yeah. but like the joining of Bowser felt like life changing. Like, wait, Bowser can't be on the same team as Peach. What's going on? But like they made it work and it felt fun. Yeah, he has a really fun arc in the story <laughs> you know where it's like you you when you first start the game you're right into the final scene of a battle with bowser that's how the game starts where you're rescuing peach yet again and then you know he's thrown out of his own castle by a bigger better enemy and he's trying to take it back and eventually just can't on his own so he joins your party which is really oh by the way spoilers for, <laughs> for an extremely old game we don't do spoiler warnings uh, on this show but yeah i think this was the first time you could play as bowser and princess peach ever yeah and it was super like i said as a person who had no idea what this game was it started yeah it starts with you going to bowser's castle and having the fight and then it ends and i was like wait is the game over like yeah. <laughs> it was a really good kind of surprise for me as a you know for a super old game but for the player like that was a big surprise as a nintendo person and you know you were talking about the timing of this with sony and nintendo and all that stuff but my wife was also saying that like this was a pivotal point in like the nintendo intellectual properties where you know you just had like the super mario brothers movie with john leguizamo and it's like mm. nintendo was a little bit more loose with who they allowed people to like make stuff using their intellectual property so we got this kind of game that creates a whole nother villain that adds a whole bunch of different characters to the Nintendo universe that I don't think ever come back. Um, no. 
but it's like we got that for this and then after that nintendo got like a lot more tight with their with their characters and their property so this is like a really fun kind of like it felt like the wild west of living in nintendo where they can make up like we see bowser we see the all the other villains we have the clouds we have the toadstool like we have all those other things but we yeah. also have Gino and Mallow, like, <laughs> yes, like yes. you know, like these wild characters that we're never going to see again. So it felt cool. It felt like playing like a super illegal bootleg of a Nintendo something. <laughs> By like a very big publisher. I think yeah, Squaresoft yeah. did a great job with that 60-40 split where they added 60% new things into the canon but the 40 percent you saw recognizable faces like mario peach bowser and the toads as well as mechanically with some of the platforming aspects where hey i can jump in an rpg <laughs> you know i can jump in a jrpg that wasn't a thing you weren't jumping around in final fantasy 3 slash 6 you know or or um yeah and, uh, jumping and chrono is, trigger yeah jumping is pretty crucial to mario <laughs> Yes, and it is an isometric viewpoint, so it is a little challenging at times, but the game isn't doing anything that's all that punishing when you're trying to make these jumps. And you you touched on uh, briefly, too, with the battle system. just want to go back to that for a second. I think this might be the first RPG that added that uh, timing rhythm mechanic to a battle with blocking and, and multiple hits if you time your button presses correctly. I remember playing games like Shining Force and believing in my mind that like, if I just hit this B button over and over again, I'll block or the, the guy will miss or I'll attack harder. But that wasn't a mechanic. You were just doing that because you were a dumb little kid and you thought if you <laughs> kept pressing the button, you'd do a bigger attack. Whereas this game introduced that kind of rhythm uh, mechanic. And I believe that was inspired, the development team was inspired by a Japanese like children's toy that mm. would time your button presses, something similar to Simon, but not as memory driven. It was more about keeping a rhythm to a song. And they implemented that into the battle system, which I thought was pretty clever. That's cool. And it, it keeps you engaged because you had a lot of other, I shouldn't say a lot of other, but there's, you know, because I'm when I'm Twitch streaming, I'm also, you know, I'm talking to the people there and I'm trying to stay engaged. And so with some of the other JRPGs, I could just run it on auto and it would like, yep. you know, default play for me, which is good because I could talk to my audience, but I wasn't engaged in the game that I'm like, another battle, fine. Like, yeah, you just go ahead and do it auto play. Like, I think Lunar had that, right? The AI option. Mm -hmm. But because of this but like the button pressing and the mechanics of the fighting here, like you needed to stay engaged, especially when I'm doing like ultra jump and I'm trying to time it to see if I can get like 30 jumps to win a special prize someplace else like it was right. good it kept me engaged in the battles which sometimes after you know streaming for a really long time I can get a little disengaged so you know sure. kudos to that Woodrad Podcast Network is a proud affiliate of AnimationLegends.com. Use our promo code RINGS to save at checkout. We're talking actual, authentic 
animation, production, artwork, one-of-a-kind things you're not gonna find anywhere else. Authentic animation cells, background paintings, and production artwork from some of the most legendary, iconic Saturday morning cartoons and animated features. We're talking The Brave Little Toaster, we're talking Little Nemo in Slumberland, The Ultimate Spider-Man, X-Man, Ewoks, He-Man, G.I. Joe, and many more. Go to AnimationLegends.com and get real, authentic, one-of-a-kind artwork that you can adorn your walls with and save at checkout with our promo code RING. That's R-I-N-G-S, rings at checkout, animationlegends.com. Uh, we talked about the three three of the main protagonists, but let's go back to Gino and Mallow. Uh, <laughs> what do you think of those characters, and did they end up being a part of your final party? No, they did not end up being part of my final party. I really wanted Mallow there. Yeah. But the the H like the HP uh like the group hug for mm -hmm. Princess Peach really made it that she was so valuable to be able to heal everybody. Yeah. Um and I actually didn't get a lot of use out of Gino personally. I used him for a little bit, but then I when Bowser when the option for Bowser and Peach in a party, I was like, oh, this feels so taboo. <laughs> sure. So I ended up having them paired up a lot. Because like when else am I gonna get that? They're um, a cool little thruple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the kissing when they have the little thruple there. It's like, yeah, I know. It's like, but I really loved, I really loved Mallow. I tried to put him in whenever I could, and I remember I used him for when we went up to like the Cloud City area. I used him a lot in there, and I, I kept him for as long as I could. But yeah, when I was getting to the final battles with Smithy, I needed to to sub in Peach. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people out there that miss Gino, and I think it's because they experienced the game as a kid, and Gino was Shooty McShooterson, so mm. it was cool to have this Mario game where there's a character who shoots. You know, you, you couldn't be Sniffits back in the day when you were playing Super Mario Bros. 2, but you could be Gino in this RPG. But I've I found, like you, by the end of the game, I was playing with Bowser, Peach, and Mario. It just seemed right. Mallow, when I was a kid, I thought was just a big crybaby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what's interesting is right at the time of the lockdown, uh, my son had just turned four and was just getting into video games. And I say getting into video games, he would hold the second controller and we would pretend he was playing along. Aww. And after we completed Yoshi's Island, this was the next game we moved on to. And I guess because I became a parent, all of a sudden, like my feeling uh, Mallow turned where I was like, oh, I really, I, I feel affectionate towards this character. I care <laughs> about this character's little story arc where, you know, this, this little uh, floof of a cloud believes it's a frog and he's so clear <laughs> to everyone around him he's not a frog and i just i did i cared about this character and bringing him back to his parents in the cloud city uh it it's interesting how uh you know age changes perspective totally and i have like such a weird surreal connection with these characters because when i'm playing the older games it doesn't have voice actors for a lot of them so when I'm Twitch streaming, I'm, I'm doing the voices for it. And I've done like some voiceover work in the past mm -hmm. for like podcasts and audiobooks and stuff like that. So I try to give the characters very different voices. So it's, it's you know, the people who are just listening at home while they're doing their dishes or something. And I think it was, I unfortunately gave Gino a voice that I didn't enjoy doing. 
Mm. So I think that's another reason why I just didn't keep them as much. <laughs> but I gave Mallow um, like a My Cousin Vinny voice. And yeah. I, that's like one of my favorites to do. So I think I ended up just having Mallow around more often. So I could like, <laughs> hey, what are we doing in this city? I want to get back to class. Like, you know, it just yeah. became more fun to have Mallow around to do the voice. They're adorable characters. Everything looks like a, like you're playing with toys uh on a play set, the perspective helps that feel. Plus everything has sort of um, a sculpty, I guess, look about it. It's pre-rendered graphics, which the game originally didn't start with that. It was going to be, you know, your typical flat sprites like you'd see in Final Fantasy 2 or 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this pre-rendered graphic aesthetic came to be pretty popular with, you know, Donkey Kong Country. And it was this bridge between the 16-bit era and then the 32-bit era with polygons. How do we make our sprites look more like the polygons? Well, we use these pre-rendered graphics. Uh, I see mixed feelings on that aesthetic. I personally enjoy it. I wish more indie developers would go for this aesthetic. Uh, What do you think about it? Because it is quite the departure from other Mario games before and since. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I enjoyed the graphics. I felt like... (laughs) The problem with me with having no concept of what Mallow was, I did run into confusion where my wife, who, like I said, like loved this game, was sitting here. And then Mallow's like, I'm a frog. And my wife's like, oh, my God, can you believe he thinks he's a frog? And I'm like, I don't know what frogs look like in this world. (laughs) I kind of thought he was just a weird looking frog. Yeah. So it's like I I didn't necessarily understand that. I feel like that's a situation where if you had the playbook, like, you Mm -hmm. know, playing a lot of retro games, one of the problems is I don't have the the manuals that come with them. Right. So I'm sure if I saw like a picture of Mallow, I'd be like, oh, he's one of the clouds from like the cloud parts of Mario games. But to me, I'm just like, I just thought he was a weird looking frog. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There are a lot of weird characters peppered throughout your journey in Super Mario RPG. Uh, Booster is a very strange Wario-esque character. Mm-hmm. Although I really dig um, Boshi, because he's got those cool shades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, and I really loved like the variety of things you're fighting. It was very interesting that some mm-hmm. were... Like you had the ones that they did really cool renderings of the, the earlier Mario villains, especially when you get to like the monster the monster village and stuff like that. Yeah. But um but yeah, every now and then they would create these new characters that were so weird. <laughs> like it was neat. Like some were actually very scary looking and then some were just so goofy. So it was a really like I feel like whoever was the monster developer who was creating these characters like had a great time. Or like that team got to like include scary ones and just big old goofy ones. Yeah, and they, they clearly had, I think, a commentary about the military-industrial complex. <laughs> At least that's the way I read it at the end, when you're uh, battling Smithy and, and we're turning into tanks and other types of weapons of destruction. Anyway, I, I took the overall story to be about the military-industrial complex. I don't know how, how you read it. I, yeah, I mean, it is, an, it is really interesting that the big bad of the game is, like, a smith, a sm- is a weapons creator, is a weapons right. manufacturer, and that, like, Bowser wants to get back to employing people to be his goons, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, this is a guy who is creating robots, so yeah, I guess there is something to be said about in our, our, you know, here in the year 2023 is like, is this a take on how warfare 
uh, is inhumane because we've taken the humanity out of fighting and, and given it mm. to drones and, and torpedoes and right yeah sure let's go with that <laughs> I sure Miyamoto I, I think would love that <laughs> it makes us sound smart so let's go with it <laughs> exactly but there's also a cloud who thinks he's a frog <laughs> right <laughs> and a wooden a wooden doll who was a star the whole time <laughs> yeah a shooty per- Pinocchio <laughs> exactly romping around. What'd you think about the soundtrack? I have a feeling I know what you feel about the soundtrack. Oh, solid. This is a great soundtrack. This was so good. Like, I mean, Mario music is good in general. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Yoko Shimomura was the composer of the soundtrack for Super Mario RPG. And he has been on record saying that it is some of his best work ever. And uh, I agree. It's fantastic. The tunes are great. And again, it goes back to that 60-40 split where it sounds right. And I know that's like, well, of course it sounds right. That's the soundtrack for the game. But I mean, like, it had to be both. It had to be an RPG, but it also had to be Mario. And those two things aren't the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, it's just the sheer fact of this was like it's it's interesting when you you know the variety of rpgs that i've played now over the over the three years or so that i've been doing this the shift of when they could have recorded voices makes a lot of difference in a game and this is back in before they were recording voices so you can't have like your theme song be some cool you know i think i think like go back to lunar one which has like Mm. i think one of the most beautiful themes (laughs) um and you just don't got you don't have that right so it's like they have to rely on these really good repetitive songs that kind of are an earworm and stick in your head and yeah this is a great soundtrack for that yeah and even the sound engineering is great as far as the noises your weapons make when they hit the enemies or when you use a power up or when you're hit with a curse or a spell um it just it sound it's so distinctive to this game where you know if you were to play me some of the final fantasies and just the noises from them i wouldn't be able to determine which final fantasy game or which dragon quest game they came from but when i hear these noises i immediately picture a mallet hitting a guy on top of the head or the Mm -hmm. jump happening over and over again yeah in my mind right now i am humming the battle (laughs) like (laughs) yeah it's a great tune it's a great tune it's a good suit it's good like i said it's you know when you play a, a lot of video games you have really serious ones you have really scary ones and this one is it's mario it's it's for kids it's joyful there's not blood or anything like that Mm -hmm. um and i think the music has a good reflection of that and it was upbeat enough to keep you going during the things but there's enough tonal shift when you're in different areas that it was fun yeah especially in that last stage or that last dungeon with the final boss there's a big shift but it's justified because of what you've uh led up to uh, before we wrap up with final thoughts, I do want to ask you one more burlesque question. If you were to put on a show with the characters from Super Mario RPG, what four characters would you want uh, to have parodied in that oh. nerdlesque performance? I mean, definitely Mallow would be really fun. That's like the first. Sure. I I always like to do the really goofy characters for burlesque because I think that yeah. that's the fun the fun challenge of is can you make I like I do a lot of comedic style burlesque um, mm-hmm. and Mallow seems super fun and I mean you have the option of like 
starting out in a pond being a frog or something like that, right? Who else would I do? I think then going on that, Gino would be fun because you get to do puppet movement and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, I think... I'm trying to think back on some of the other ones. Yeah. I mean, I think if I were to do it, I think I would do a fun thing with Mario and see if I could get myself like a lazy Susan, but have it be one of those flowers. So if I step on it, I just would have somebody <laughs> turn me in those four directions. Yeah, sure. For part of for part of the like strip tease, which I just like turning on that flower for a large section of the act. I think it'd be really funny. <laughs> but I think I'd want to do Frog Fucius. Oh, okay. That's an interesting choice. Or 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 uh, what's the the frog the frog Tchaikovsky guy? Because then you could do it to his music. I feel right. like that'd be fun. Deep. One of the things when I do shows is that I kind of let the the other people who are in my shows pick the pick the big names if they want, so it's easier for them. So I end up doing a lot of really weird, strange characters. The tertiary characters. <laughs> yeah. Sure. So I feel like Frog Fuchsius would be like my backup plan if someone doesn't choose the big heavy hitters. <laughs> All right, well, what are your final thoughts on uh, Super Mario RPG? Sounds like you liked it. I did. I think it's really fun. I think it's... I feel like it's good if you wanted to get somebody playing an RPG who has never played an RPG before. I think it'd be Mm -hmm. a great start. I think it's a fun retro game to someone who hasn't played a retro game in a while. I think it'd be fun to play it with kids or, you know, have a kid watch you while you play it because you don't have to worry. It's never getting too violent. Right. The only thing I would say is I... And I should have said this before with the mechanics was I did struggle with um, doing diagonals sometimes or some of that thing going from like, because it's a big jump from a side scroller, right? So if someone doesn't have great control, like doesn't have good controller skills, maybe not for them, but I just thought it was fun. And it was, it was a real fun nostalgia hit of seeing the villains uh, mm. pop up in different things and it kept you going and like you said that 60-40 split just it gave you enough nostalgia dopamine mm-hmm. to be enjoyable with enough new creativity that you wanted to learn more so solid solid game liked it a lot I think I put it in like my top three JRPGs that I've played so far great okay just remind everybody where they can find you again and a reminder to the listener Click on the show notes. There'll be links there as well. Yeah, the main thing for, for all you gaming people, you can find me. It's just twitch.tv slash my name, Anya. That's A-N-J-A. Uh, Keister. It's it, My name's a pun. It's an on your butt pun. If you wanted to see more about like my regular life or my burlesque stuff, I'm under the same name on Instagram or uh, my TikTok as well. Uh, those are great places to find me. Because I'm currently living in the UK, I'm not performing a lot, but I will be back at Gen Con this summer, which is one of the, I think it's like the biggest gaming convention in North America. So you can find me performing there or uh, hopefully back in New York sometime this summer. And that's A-N-J-K-E-I-S-T-E-R. Anya Keister, thank you very much for being a part of our program. Of course, thanks for having me. Fun gaming, everyone. <laughs> Well, that does it for this episode. I'd like to thank my co-hosts for joining me as well as the members of One Rad Club, without whom these shows just wouldn't happen. If you'd like to show your support for these shows, check out OneRadClub.com. For just a dollar a month, you can get early access to all the great shows on the One Rad Podcast Network. And for a little bit more than a dollar a month, you can unlock all sorts of other exclusive content and physical rewards. Again, be sure to check out 
oneradclub.com. Thank you so much for your support. We'll be right back real soon.